Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to James chapter 3. If you're a guest with us, or perhaps you are newer to State College Assembly, we've been journeying through the letter of James in the New Testament, uh, and just taking time to look at James, and the topic, the series is called Get Real, and taking our faith, our life, and letting it be lived out through our lives, rather, uh, and our faith in Jesus, and it impacting our lives. And this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time talking with you about wisdom. Um, now, when I... Uh, we really live in a world where knowledge is literally at our fingertips and is really expanding on a daily basis. Uh, with the, the web today, we can watch real-time events in our world as they happen. We can watch history advance and unfold in our world even as it happens. Um, I know a number of years ago in um, what has now been called the Arab Spring, but what took place in Cairo, Egypt, and other places, uh, really one of the biggest things that became a part of that movement and helping that movement take off was the, the use of the web, the use of social media, and just people being able to watch real-time events happening as they unfold. We just live in a world where, where knowledge is at our fingertips. You can find what you need when you want it. Um, now, I remember growing up in middle school and in high school that when I needed to do a research paper for, uh, for school, for a project, that I would not, I didn't have online to go log into, but rather I would have to go to the, to the physical library and check out a physical encyclopedia and take physical notes. Um, that, and if I didn't finish those notes by the end of that time where our class was in the library or my time before my parents had picked me up, um, I could pay and make copies of those pages of the encyclopedias because they wouldn't let us check them out, and I could make copies and then I could bring those copies home. I remember in college when there was a time I needed to do a research paper for a biology class, and there was a book that I needed, and I was looking for it, and our, our, the university library didn't have it. And so and we, I was at University of Anchorage, Alaska, and so I needed the book, and so they, they sent out to another library and had the book physically sent to the library to see, and so you're waiting. There wasn't this go online, do a research paper, type in uh, the topic, and you can have an endless supply of resources pop up on your screen, and before the day is over, you could have used resources from 30 different libraries. It's a very different day and age. But one of the things that we see and consistently see demonstrated for us in life and demonstrated for us in our lives is that even though we're living in a world and a culture with rapidly expanding knowledge, that there is a, a vast difference between knowledge and wisdom. And James takes time to talk about this morning what we're going to look at as wisdom and the, really the two types of wisdom that there are and God's desire for, for us to live out of the wisdom that he offers. So look with me in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. I want to look at verses 13 through 18. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come, come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And three things that I just want to highlight for you from, uh, from what James is saying and what he speaks to us here, and, and the first one is, the first thing James gives us is how to recognize wisdom, how to recognize the wise, how to recognize the wise around you, the wise in your life. Uh, look in verse 13 again, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Just that question, who is wise and understanding among you? 
It's asking a question that I think is a, a good question for us to, on, to take and honestly assess our lives uh, from time to time, really on a very regular basis. To assess our lives and, and to take time to look and see who or what do we give permission to speak into our lives. This is who is wise among you? Who is, who is demonstrating the wisdom or really godly wisdom into our lives? But as parents, as individuals in our world, as I've mentioned, that, that knowledge and media and, and uh, on the internet, there's just this constant stream of information coming at us. And one of the greatest things that I believe that we can do and it would help in advancing our mindset, advancing our life, and advancing our faith is periodically taking time to assess what are the avenues of wisdom that we're allowing to flow into our lives and to shape our mindsets. James is going to go on and talk about two different types of wisdom, and we're going to look at them in just a second. But to take time and pause and look at who, who or what is speaking into your life. Uh, we live in a day where, where people have titles and access and all sorts of different things. They can, um, even in the name of, for the name of Christ, they can have different seminars and write books and be available and easily accessible. But just because an individual identifies themselves as a follower of Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that they're speaking with the wisdom uh, and the insight that God desires for us to allow to shape our lives. So when James says, who is wise and understanding among you, I think it's a good reminder to you and to me that we should take, to regularly take inventory of who or what is an avenue of speaking into our lives um, and assessing really what type of wisdom they are living out. Uh, Paul noted in writing to young, a young man by the name of Timothy, and you can find this in the New Testament, Paul wrote two letters to a young man named Timothy. Timothy was probably a teenager, but was an early church leader, and God used him in a significant way, and Paul just placed him in a place in establishing a local church. But Paul began to give Timothy instruction, and in both of his letters, in 1 Timothy 4 and in 2 Timothy 4, in both places when Paul is giving Timothy instruction, he begins to give Timothy instruction and warning about the last days. And he's describing these last days, these final times, and these end times. And he tells Timothy, he says, to be on his guard and to really be watchful over those who have been entrusted to him. He says, because there's coming a day when individuals will, will look for individ ones who will give them what they want to hear. He uses the term, he says, that they'll, they'll look for ones who can fill their itching ears with what it is that they want to hear. And so he identifies that there will be this, this openness and this, this longing inside of humanity, inside of individuals for anything and everything that is available. But then not only does he identify that that will happen, but he identifies that there will be individuals who are ready and willing to give the information they're looking for. It's a reminder to you and to me and the world and the culture we live to constantly take inventory and assess the avenues of, of, of worldly wisdom, the avenues of godly wisdom, the people that we're allowing to speak into and influence our hearts, influence our lives Influence your families, influence your values, influence your children. Even in today's age, um, a number of times I've seen the different family-friendly movies that when you begin to look into the movie and look into the message and, and see what is being presented, that many times there's a, sometimes it's a subtle, sometimes it's a not-so-subtle message of our culture on certain values that the culture wants to raise your children with that most often stand opposite and contrary to what Christian values that God calls us to parent with. So it's an important time, just a reminder to assess in our lives the wisdom that we live with and the wisdom that we allow to flow into our lives. But, but James goes on and he gives, he doesn't say just to only assess what type of wisdom, but he says something else. Look in verse 13 one more time. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. He says, who's wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. 
And the, the emphasis that James places on this, I don't think we can fully capture, but he just places strong emphasis. He says, don't miss it. If someone is telling you that they're, they're speaking with wisdom, they're speaking on behalf of God's truth, then their life is going to give evidence to that. That there's going to be a consistency between the things that they say and the life that they live. Just because someone can, can uh, offer catchy phrases or put together a good message doesn't necessarily mean they're functioning out of godly wisdom if their life is not matching it. Uh, Paul talks about this again, both with young Timothy as well as to a, another group of believers. And I want you to look with me in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. He says this, talking to Timothy, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. He says, set an example. Or another way he would say, he says it is to stamp an impression upon their life with your life. Let your life leave a lasting impression on their life. We've, we've looked at this verse uh, a number of series before, but the word that, that Paul is actually using to young Timothy in this case is the same word that, a, that a, a, someone who would work with leather would use to take a piece of metal and to permanently mar or tattoo into the letter the leather a letter or a marking or an emblem of some sort, but leaving a permanent impression into that leather. And Paul is saying, live such a life so that not only are you speaking in truth, but your life is leaving such a lasting impression that it's putting a permanent impression on the people around you. The wisdom of God in your, flowing through your life or flowing through the lives of those that we allow to influence us should leave lasting impression, not just in the words, but in the lifestyle in which they live. Look over with me one more passage I want you to see in... Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, just talking about this consistency between message and lifestyle. Paul is talking to the early believers in Corinth, and he's talking about what it is that gives him and others the platform to be able to speak with wisdom and to, to minister to those in this early church, in the church of Corinth. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. But he says that there is a, the reason that they have the avenue to speak into people's lives, that the reason they have a platform to speak into people's lives is because there is consistency and soundness of lifestyle, in both in how they live in the world and how they behave in the church. I'll take this verse and I'll often use it for an individual who's wanting to pursue getting involved in ministry or I'll share it if you were at our Moving Forward class this past spring and we have another one coming in, in early fall. But our Moving Forward class is a series of, of three classes that helps individuals become familiar with the church and become a member of the church if they're interested in that and finding out ways to serve and recognizing just gifting assessment, a number of things. One of the things that I'll talk about in the final class is, is recognizing the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us, and I'll reference this passage, that just because someone can speak well or someone can play an instrument good or someone can sing nicely or work with kids or, or shake hands at the door, just because individuals can do things in a certain manner doesn't all of a sudden mean that they gain access to be, be an avenue of influence into the lives that God's entrusted here. So I'll look at this verse and I'll say this verse, what this verse tells us, what Paul's saying, is that there's a consistency in life and there's an integrity, there's a consistency, there's, there's soundness between how an individual lives in the world and how an individual behaves at church. 
So often we will compartmentalize and my Christian faith will look this way at church when we sing this songs and when I'm around this group of people, but then when we insert ourselves around a different group of people, whether it be family members or someone in, in the workplace or whether it be in the neighborhood or whatever, a group of friends that you insert yourself into this group of friends or this group of people and there's a different lifestyle, a different behavior, a different language that will come out than what will happen at church. And Paul is saying, you want to be able to have an avenue of, of witness, an avenue of ministering to lives around you? Then make sure that those two are consistent. That those two being consistent become an avenue that allow the, the wisdom of God to flow through our lives and to flow through and impacting and shaping those around us. It's really talking about a life uh, and the, the testimony that our lives give. So I think just the most immediate application just on this one uh, piece that James has given us that he gives you and gives me is, is two things. Number one, Think about the avenues that you're allowing to flow into your life. The people who are influencing you, the, the people you listen to, the music you listen to, the, the media choices, those avenues that are flowing into your life, what type of wisdom, what type of values is it pouring in? Second thing to consider is you are pouring your life into somebody. Your life is an avenue of influence into somebody's life. If, if you're a parent, then that by default is happening to your children. If you're a teacher, it's happening to those under your influence. Wherever it is that you're at, your life is pouring something into somebody. So what type of wisdom are you pouring into them? Take time to assess the, and recognize the wise around you. The second thing, James points out, first he says to how we can recognize the wise. Secondly, how to recognize those operating in worldly wisdom. How to recognize worldly wisdom. Look with me again in verse uh, 14. Verses 14 through 16. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder of every evil practice. The primary point I think that, that we can take is recognizing that worldly wisdom, living life without the influence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit shaping our minds and shaping our lives, is that it will not produce a lifestyle that's consistent with God's standard. If you look through the list and, and the things that are described uh, here with worldly wisdom and what it looks like fleshed out, listen to it again. Bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts. It says, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, or in some translations would say worldly. It's unspiritual. Some translations would say sensual or fleshly, and even demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and of every evil practice. He says that wisdom, the, the center of it all is, is wisdom that functions in the world's way has self at the center, not Christ. That it puts self in the very center of life and the very center of everything. And when it, someone is identifying themselves as a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're buying into the idea that the culture tells you that, it, that you are the center of everything that happens in this world, then you are immediately buying into the mindset and the wisdom that the world wants to offer. I mentioned earlier the, the instruction that Paul had given to a uh, young man by the name of Timothy regarding the end times and regarding being wise to the end times. I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. I want to look at just a portion of this warning that Paul gives young Timothy. 
It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good. And he goes on. He goes on in a long, very long list, and I would encourage you to look at it. And if you were to spend some time, you could take this list of things that Paul is giving as, as markers to the end times, markers to the final days that, that believers are to be mindful of. He gives this list of those markers, and then if you were to compare that with the list that James gave earlier, you'll find that there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of similarity between the, the worldly wisdom that James says many will off, operate out of and the end times that Paul warns Timothy to be cautious of. Now, if you're like me, it's very easy to hear end times, and we always think, well, you know, so many years from now, so many days from now, so, so far off in the distant that we can hear that. I can remember growing up and growing up in church, my, at churches that would have speakers come in, and they had these huge banners they would spread out, and it would have all the end times events and timelines and everything just speculating what could happen. And but the end times were always this, this future world government, this future thing that would happen, this future system that would happen. As a kid, I'd be like, well, I hope Jesus comes back before then. And just all of those type of things that, that would go through your mind and all of the different things that we'll hear. But I want you to see one distinguishing mark that, that Paul identifies to Timothy that is a signal of the end times, of living in those last days before Jesus returns. Verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves. Everything else that he identifies for, for a marker on the last days. And everything that, that James points out as being a lifestyle of worldly wisdom centers in a love of self. It centers in around keeping yourself at the very center of the story, that looking at your world and thinking everything in the world revolves around me. I can remember uh, my wife and I, we were out on a walk a couple of weeks ago and we were just walking on the sidewalk and had left room for others to come by. And behind us, we heard this little kid saying, beep, beep, beep. And uh, we turned around, and there's a kid on a bike just coming straight at us, so we kind of stepped aside, and he went zipping by, and the mom yells out, hey, he's a new rider, and just kind of made a joke about it, and we stepped aside, and you know, just, it wasn't anything to step aside and then step back in, but I thought about something as simple as that, is a lesson that you're training a child in the early, early phases of life, that everything revolves around you, and every, everything in the world will move out of its way if you want it to, rather than teaching them to slow down and recognize there's others in the world, to stop and be courteous, uh, to be considerate to others, a very small thing, but it fits into what I'm talking about in this world of, of putting self at the center. But Paul said, a marker of the last days will that people will be lovers of themselves. I wonder if believers from Paul's day could have ever pictured a day when people, when believers would find ways to continually take images of themselves and post them for the world to see. That if there's ever a marker of, of the last days, it's a generation that can come up with a term on what it means to take a picture of yourself, selfie. Not too long ago, we recently had National Selfie Day. I didn't even realize it happened until it was over. People were posting all sorts of pictures of themselves more than normal. And, uh, <laughs> and then I saw something about it being National Selfie Day. Can you imagine just for a second if Paul or Peter or Mary or one of the other disciples, that they wanted to go and they want to take a picture of themselves and that Peter's just standing right there getting right by his, can you imagine he's getting right by his, his boat and he's there and he's making sure he's all, you know, got his garment all out nice and doing his hair and then he's going to do a little pouty face. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Peter doing something like that or Paul or Mary? And then they would go to the early church and then pass around, look at me, look at me, 
Look at my hair in that one. Ooh, this is, oh, you weren't supposed to see this one. I thought I got rid of that one. Look at this. But instead, and I make light of it, but in the early church, their focus was not on themselves. Their focus was on Jesus. It was everything they did, everything that they were, everything that they, that they lived and breathed and spoke was to center in around who Jesus is. It was to lift Jesus up, to keep him at the very center of everything. Yet James says a marker of a lifestyle lived under the influence of worldly wisdom is a life lived with self at the center. And he doesn't say that it's just damaging. James goes on to say that it's demonic. That it's living a lifestyle under demonic influence. And it's very easy for us, while I can point it out and, and point out the importance of of recognizing worldly wisdom and its influence in our lives, I think when I talk about it, it's very easy to see it in others. It's very easy to point out and see when someone else may be living a life that's being influenced or living out of worldly wisdom, and it's much harder to spot in ourselves. And so while I was writing this and and just thinking over this message for today, I I just pulled out a piece of paper, and I began to make a list of questions to ask myself, and I wanted to share them with you to that you ask yourself as well. But questions that I believe help examine and get to the heart of what type of wisdom we're living in. Here's some of the questions. Am I quick to get angry when wronged? Am I easily offended? Perhaps you should ask the person you live with or the person next to you or the person you spend the most time with and they can answer that better than yourself. Looking over the past three months, how easily have I been offended? Is it hard to forgive? Am I teachable? When others succeed, do I wish that it was me instead? Am I primarily concerned with myself? And again, I would, not making light of it, but I would say check your, your social postings to see. Examine your reactions uh, when someone gets the last whatever it is, and, and you'll see if you're more concerned with yourself. Am I quick to, rec- to I'm sorry, am I quick to talk about others' faults and failures or how they wronged me? Do I make decisions primarily based on my feelings or what seems right to me in the moment? Do I get upset when my preferences aren't met? Do I feel the need to have the last word or the last say in a conversation or a disagreement? Do I feel the need to prove myself right? Our answers to these questions really reveal a lot and reveal much about what type of wisdom we choose to live from. And the fact that we don't have to teach ourselves or we don't have to really even teach our children to live from the wisdom the world offers should show us just how natural it is. There's not a person here in this room who had to teach your kid to disobey. There's not a person here in this room who had to teach your kid to talk back, to teach your child how to take from others. That it comes naturally because the world's wisdom and the world's ways is a very natural fit for our lifestyle. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're not called to live nor function with the lifestyle and the wisdom that the world offers. And so what what James goes on to point out is that we can, God invites us and wants us to grow in godly wisdom. He invites us and wants us to grow in the wisdom that he offers to us. And so James points that out. He points out how we can grow in godly wisdom. Look with me in James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James gives several characteristics 
of what godly wisdom looks like when it's lived out. He gives several characteristics of what that wisdom looks like when it's fleshed out through our lives. And if you were to read through the, the book of Proverbs, you'll see that the wise person is often described with many of these attributes that are being given here in James, but identifying that they're patient, they're looking for the good, they're guarding their speech, they're guarding their actions, they're considerate towards others. But there's something I want you to remember that James wrote earlier when it comes to receiving the wisdom that God gives. It's James 1, verse 5. This is a, a verse that we talked about early on at the beginning of the series. James chapter 1, verse 5 it says, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It says, If you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously, who gives abundantly to all without finding fault. And as I described it then when we looked at this verse, that when I, I used to read this, it says, it says that God will give gen wisdom generously to all without finding fault. I used to look at that where it would say finding fault and the image that would come to my mind is I'd come in a, to ask God for wisdom and he would be there like, you know, we're, we're at this place again, Steve. Can you believe that? We've already had this conversation. I can't believe you're coming to me for wisdom on this one more time. That we, we have this idea in our mind that God is this distant father, not wanting to get involved, not wanting to impart, and really expecting us to figure it out. And if we already use that, that you know, get out of jail free card once with him, that all of a sudden we can't come back. But that's not what he's talking about. He says that God will give wisdom generously, abundantly, liberally, without finding fault. In other words, that he'll give it recognizing our frailty and our need for it. Not, not coming and saying, well, I can't believe we're at this crossroad again, but rather to, he, he will always openly receive you and receive me as we come, pursuing the wisdom that he offers. There's been, a, rarely a day passes that I don't take James 1.5 and pray it, whether it be over as a parent, over a pastor, as a husband, in our world, in our culture, just constantly finding myself at crossroads where, God, I need your wisdom. I need you to impart to me the wisdom uh, for my life, the wisdom for my decisions, the wisdom for my future, the wisdom for whatever it is that would fit into that category, but I find myself continually coming to that. But most often when God begins to answer that prayer for wisdom, asking him for wisdom, and he begins to, it says that he gives wisdom generously, that most often when God answers that prayer, he's going to begin by showing us the things in our lives that keep us from the wisdom he desires to give us. Think about that, that when we ask God for wisdom, and he grants it, because the Bible says that he will grant, that's a prayer that he will grant, most often he'll grant it by beginning to show us the things that keep us from living out the wisdom that he desires. That's why James says in describing wisdom, verse 17, he says, wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. All the other attributes of wisdom as described in James chapter three, all those other attributes really are meaningless if there's not purity within our lives. That if there's not purity, and when he speaks of purity, he talks about a, a moral purity of, of free from fault and defilement. And it's more than just many times when we talk about purity uh, and, and specifically in the Christian realm, it's very easy to immediately attach it to sexual things or attach it to uh, our desires. You need to understand that when, when God talks about purity, he's talking about uh, a complete soundness, uh, a spiritual integrity. It speaks of a purity in mind, purity in your thought life. Purity not just by having impure thoughts but, or, or lustful thoughts, but purity in your thought life by way of the type of thoughts you allow to exist in your mindset. Thoughts of fear, anxiety, depression, discouragement. Those type of things will always continue to hold you back and keep its reins on you from really advancing forward in the wisdom that God has for you. 
Purity in body, that does mean sexually, but also physically and in self-discipline and recognizing the purity that God calls for our entire being. Purity in, in spirituality, recognizing that there's not compromise. There's not compromise in our life, in the ways of the world, and the things the world offers. Purity in our relationships, in your family, in dating, and with others, uh, in strained relationships, that God imparts wisdom to those who really work to develop a lifestyle that's going to receive it. A lifestyle that will receive what God wants to give. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That, that God really purely, he, he, purity positions our lives to receive God's best. Earlier we were singing a song, um, the, the, I think one of the first songs we sang. It's a newer song that Pastor Melvin and the team has been leading us uh, in and is talking about, I think it's called Deeper, Deeper Still, and just leading us out. And, but the opening words, I saw this morning, the opening words, it said, Holy Spirit, take my hand now. Lead me out into deeper waters. That sounds really exciting when, you're, when we're singing it and the, the worship team is playing it and, and uh, just an exciting atmosphere. But think about what you're saying. Holy Spirit, take my hand and lead me away from what I'm comfortable with. Holy Spirit, take my hand and lead me to release the things that I've held on to for comfort and trust you alone. When my girls were younger, when they were, when they were just teaching them uh, how to swim, I remember at times when we would go and visit a pool, whether it be at a friend's house or we'd stay at a hotel or something, and we would, one of my youngest ones would, would sit on the stairs. And as much as there was the whole pool to enjoy, she'd just sit on the stairs or hold onto the rail or hold onto the edge and maybe get her toes wet. And there were so many times that I'd come to, to one of them and I would just try to invite them out into the pool and I'd say, you know, I'd hold them, I'm going to keep them safe. And, and, but there was just this death grip on the rail, this death grip on the stairs, didn't want to strike out into deeper waters. But then once they eventually got to that point where they did and they, they trusted me, they trusted Teresa, then all of a sudden the whole pool became the playground. I mean, it became fun, they enjoyed it, and they were in over their head, but we were right there with them, they learned a lot of just enjoying it. And so often, you and I are like that infant or that toddler sitting on the front step of the, of the pool, saying, God, bless me more, but I'm still going to hold on to this, this railing. God, lead me out deeper, but my, I don't want more than my ankles wet. God, lead me out more, but realizing that every time that we ask him to lead us and asking him to impart us wisdom to us and asking for him to, to purify who we are, every time he's there to take us and lead us out deeper, we just have to be willing to let go and release the things in our lives that we hold on to. It's releasing the things in your life and your thinking that are not going to be consistent with who he is. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had had someone had slipped a uh, prophetic word into my hand, and um, they had written it out. And if you're newer to State College Assembly, we believe in just the whole practice of God's word. In 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about spiritual gifts, and it talks about the gift of prophecy being used in a congregational setting. And we have different, different ways, different things that we put into practice from that passage. Uh, individuals can share in service. We just ask them to find me, one of the other pastors, and we just kind of hear a little bit of what they're, they're saying so that it can be fitting into what's happening in the service. Because in Scripture, it talks about that that, that prophetic gifting is fitting into what God's already doing. And um, we just we have microphones available, those type of things. But I had someone had written it out and put it in my hand. And, and what I do is I take it. And I was, throughout the whole service, I had it sitting next to me in the pulpit and just didn't feel the right fit, the release where it was, and the next couple of weeks that. But this morning, as I was coming in and just thinking about what we we're going to talk about, this word came to mind, and it's very fitting for this morning. Listen to, this is what the individual wrote out. It says, he is here. He is moving in his power because he is well-pleased with us, his people. 
He desires for us to continue to allow him to consume our lives. His desire is to be a part of our everyday, to be with us as we do the dishes, mow the lawn, email customers back, or manage financial accounts. The work he is beginning is all-consuming and all-encompassing. There is not a single part of our lives that will be the same. All will have new life. This means something must be left behind. But know and trust his work is perfect and good. He wants us to listen to his spirit's leading in our lives, to trust him as he calls upon our sacrifice. He is bringing us into newness of life like nothing we've ever experienced before. Come to him and be with him. Listen to those words right in the center of it. This means something, some things must be left behind. Do you want the wisdom of God imparted into your life? Do you want the wisdom to be a godly parent? Wisdom for your workplace, wisdom for your world, wisdom to to navigate this culture, wisdom to you fill in the blank? Then recognize what are the things that God's calling to you for you to leave behind so you can step out into a newness of him and a newness of the leading of his Holy Spirit in your life. I want to take you to one more passage and invite the worship team to, to just quietly slip up and begin to ready themselves. All throughout Proverbs, it speaks continually of wisdom and the wisdom that God desires to impart to us. And in Proverbs 1, wisdom, really, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom is standing on the street corner calling out for all who will receive it. Just inviting all to come and to forsake their ways and to, to look to him. But listen to what it says about in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. It says, though it cost all that you have, get understanding. Back to that prophetic word that I shared. It says, this means some things must be, be left behind. So the question that I just leave you with this morning, and then we'll move to a time of prayer. Proverbs chapter 4 says, though it cost all you have, get understanding. What do you hold on to in your life that limits his, your understanding of where he's working and what, where he's leading? What in your life do you hold on to that limits your understanding? The wisdom that God wants to impart will bring freedom, brings life, but he leads us. And he'll lead us into new places, new direction, new purpose as we continually look to him.